Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. This week you're reading to us from The Truth, your new translation of the New Testament, Colin. And uh, you've you've chosen to start with the book of Romans, which actually many people will say is a very complicated letter that Paul wrote. You were reading all about the law yesterday. But as you read it, it did seem to come alive. And you say you felt very, very inspired as you worked on this translation. Romans is, is a key epistle because... It is really the most developed explanation of basic Christian doctrine in the whole of the New Testament. It uh, gives us a wonderful understanding of the cross and of the righteousness that God has made available through faith in Jesus Christ and of the new life that we have in the Spirit and how to live that life. Um, but as I was saying earlier in the week, Paul, of course, was an intellectual and he writes in quite a complicated way. and. He, you know, very, very clever people, they think very quickly. And uh, he he is packing so much into every verse almost that he writes that it takes a little bit of unpacking and, and explanation. And you, you almost want to slow down sometimes when you're reading Paul and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to think about this because you're saying so much. And, and often it seems he's saying so many different things all at the same time. And, and to him, with his great intelligence, these all fitted together. He understood how it, how it all fitted together in the, in the outworking of the gospel in our lives. Uh, but for most people, you know, they, they just need a little bit of space here and say, well, 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 let's just come to terms now with what he's saying and how I can apply this series of truths into my life. So that's what I was seeking to do. You told us at the beginning of the week that not only have you translated from the Greek, but you've also explained it as well. So here we have a translation and an explanation side by side. Yes, all, all in one. It's translating it in a way that draws out the meaning of the text without it becoming a paraphrase so that you sort of lose sight almost of the, of the original. It's somewhere in between the middle. And I just trust that we've got the balance right and that uh, it really is going to prove very effective for people in their daily walk with the Lord. So we, we've finished at a, a rather... Um, difficult point yesterday because we're right in the middle of Paul's explanation in Romans 7 uh, about the use of the law and yet how the law does not enable us to obey. So I'm actually going to reread just um, the last few verses that I read yesterday and then we'll continue. I'm going to pick it up at verse, um, verse 12. The law in itself is good for it was given us by a holy God. All his commands are holy, right, and good. Did those commands create this death in me? Certainly not, for God has no desire to do such a thing. He had to show me that I had no power in myself to please him. Even though what he commanded me to do was good, my sinful nature caused me to make wrong, sinful choices, which only goes to show how completely sinful I was despite all my religious fervor. The law was not the problem. The fault was entirely mine. The law itself is spiritual because it is given by God. 
I came to realize that in my natural state, I am unspiritual, a slave to sin and disobedience. In fact, I often did not understand myself or why I made these wrong decisions. I wanted to please God, but ended up doing the very opposite, even though I hated the idea of being a sinner in His sight. Even though I disobeyed the law, I have to admit that it is good and was given by God for my welfare. The problem is this principle of sin that lived in me. I felt under its control and knew that nothing good lived in me, that is, in my natural being. For even though I wanted to do what is right, I was powerless to obey. I ended up doing the very thing I was determined not to do. I kept on sinning and doing what was evil in God's eyes. To sin persistently in this way demonstrated that I was motivated by the sinful disposition that lived in me. It seemed I was out of control. So this is the law that was at work in me. Whenever I wanted to do what is good and right, evil was ready to work in me. I could have God's law in my heart, but another law was seemingly in charge urging me to sinful action. I felt there was a kind of war going on within me, a battle that I was constantly losing because I was a prisoner of the law of sin that urged me to use my body in sinful ways. What a dilemma! What a mess! Can you see how wretched I felt about myself? Was there anyone who could save me from this terrible predicament? Yes, thank God! and his name is Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my heart and mind, I considered myself a slave of God's law because I wanted to please him. Yet this principle of sin made me a slave of sin. How wonderful to be liberated now from all the condemnation this continual failure brought. For those who live in Christ Jesus have been set free from all condemnation. Through Christ Jesus, a different principle now lives in me, a new law, the spirit of life. He has set me free from the law of sin and death. Under the law, I could not do what God wanted because of my weak, sinful nature. God dealt with that by sending His own Son to become man, to live among sinners, and then to make His life a sinless offering to God on their behalf. Through His action, God dealt with the condemnation under which all sinners live. In Christ, all the demands God expressed in the laws He gave were fulfilled, so we now live in the good of what He accomplished. He succeeded where we had all failed miserably, so that now we can live as if we had succeeded. His success has become our success, so long as we no longer live in the weakness of our old sinful nature, but now live led by and filled by God's Spirit. Those who live according to their own natural desires are always intent on getting what they want for themselves. That is their focus. But those who truly want to please God by being led by His Spirit make Him their focus. 
Sinful thinking leads to spiritual death. But to allow your life to be under the control of the Holy Spirit will result in sharing in God's life and knowing His peace. Sinful thinking is totally against God's will. Such attitudes show there is no submission to Him and His purposes, for you cannot serve God while your mind is full of sinful, selfish thoughts. That would suggest you were being controlled by your desires, not His. However, this is not the case with you. You are not under the control of selfish, sinful desires because you have surrendered your life to God to be under the power and influence of His Spirit who actually lives in you. You would not be a Christian at all if you did not possess the Holy Spirit. But because His Spirit is in you, Christ is in you. Your body may still crave for self-indulgence, yet your spirit has now been brought to life by His Spirit so that in your heart you want to do what is right before God. This Spirit who lives in you is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. If He could do that, then He is certainly able to give God's life to your natural bodies because His Spirit lives in you. This means you are no longer obliged to obey your sinful desires, my brothers. To do that would lead to spiritual death. Now you have God's Spirit in you, enabling you to rule over any lingering sinful desires to indulge your fleshly instincts. So the Spirit enables you to enjoy real life, not death. You see, those who live as God's sons are happy to be led by God's Spirit. When He came to live in you, He did not lead you back to your past life, making you a slave of fear again. No, you receive the Spirit that enables you to live as a son of God. You can call Him Father, my Father. The Holy Spirit urges us to remember that we are God's children, to know this deep in our hearts. For if we know we are His children, then we know also that we are His heirs. Yes, we are heirs of God and inherit all His blessings along with Christ. We may have to face cost in being obedient to Him, but this is only so that we will also share eternally in His glory. Now you can see why I consider my current predicament as a minor inconvenience compared with the wonderful glory that will be revealed in us. Why even creation itself is in suspense, longing for God's sons to reveal who they are. You see, it was His will that His purposes for His creation would be frustrated until this happens. People did not choose this frustration for themselves. It was imposed on them by God because creation can only be liberated from bondage, from that death principle we see at work all around us, by being brought into the liberty that God's children enjoy because they know and reflect His glory. Everywhere around us, it seems that creation is groaning just like a woman about to give birth. There is even a sense in which we believers are also groaning inwardly. Although we know the Spirit is already at work within us, we long for the time when we will go to be with the Lord as His sons, when we experience the resurrection of our bodies. This is the hope we have because of the salvation we have received. You cannot see now that for which you hope, because hope refers to what lies in the future. If we could experience what we hope for, that would not be true hope. How can anyone say he already has what he hopes for? No, we have to wait patiently for what God has promised us in the future. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 